Even men like Talon Card occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber. Hello everyone and welcome to Star Wars Bookworms, the show where we discuss and review all the new Star Wars releases from Dark Horse Comics and Delray Books. I am your host Aaron Goins, and sadly Teresa has, is not able to join us tonight, but we have a great fill-in host in uh, Mr. Mark Herleman. How you doing, Mark? Hey, Aaron, I'm doing good. Glad to be here. It's a shame uh, Teresa was out and about doing her thing. She's probably at Disney World or something like that. I, I just have this feeling, you know. It's something, something about yeah. Disney World. It calls. That's right, Whistler. It calls. Every time. <laughs> and we already have the Whistler cameo. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I can't go anywhere. He won't let me. He's like pulling on me with his little claw. Like, oh, yeah. Teresa is not anywhere nearly as fun as uh, Disney World. She actually had to work late tonight, so she was really sad that she missed this one because she, uh, she really wanted to talk about the, the comic and novel that we're covering tonight. So, we. Uh, we send out our our our, our uh, sadness to her, and and too bad she can't be here. Um, <laughs> yeah, buddy. Along with Mark, we actually have another great guest. So this is two great guests in one episode, and that is uh, Trisha Barr. How are you doing today, Trisha? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. And I actually consider both of you guys as as experts when it comes to Star Wars Expanded Universe. So uh -oh. it's awesome having you guys on. <laughs> I think <laughs> we can have some great conversations with the uh, the material that we're covering. Um, on this episode, we're going to actually be discussing the comic volume of Darth Maul, Death Sentence, and also the novel Dawn of the Jedi Into the Void. Before we get into that, though, um, what have you guys been up to lately as far as Star Wars goes? Uh, anything interesting? I'll start with you, Tricia. I have um, just had an ar an article, um, the cover feature for Star Wars Insider 142, a piece on Padme that I was very excited to, uh, I wrote this a, a, a while back, and it's, it was nice to see it come up, and I have a couple other articles coming um, shortly, and I'm also joined um, Beyond the Screen's podcast as their Star Wars fangirl contributor um also, this uh, this week was my first one, so that's what I've been doing in Star Wars. Cool. Have you ever done podcasting before, or is that your first show that you've been a part of? I have done a lot of appearances on podcasts, but um, and I don't have to do anything. I just show up on this one, too. I'm technically challenged, so yeah. um, but I was invited, so it was um, fun to join that group. Just wait, because I started out only guesting as well, and then you get this bug where you're just like, I could do my own show. <laughs> Pretty soon we're going to have the Trisha Barr Star Wars Expanded Universe Expert Show. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Raising the bar with Trisha Barr. It's, it is nice, though, to not have to write things down, but I, I just, um, I, I'm so technically challenged that I don't think I can do it. Well, that's awesome. I, I, I'm going to definitely seek out that podcast and, uh, and, and uh, listen to that, at least that first episode and see how you did. Great. Thank you. And uh, we'll, we'll put a link in t into the show notes for it as well so other people can find it. Great. And how about you, Mark? What have you been up to? Been reading anything good lately? Oh, man, all sorts of goodies. I've, I'm drowning in awesome books right now. I mean, Kenobi just showed up, and I'm in the middle of Crucible, and I'm like, I got into the void that I need to be jumping on. I was like, I, I fell so far behind so fast, and I was like, okay, should I, should I go to Into the Void next? 
and continue to be behind because I just finished The Last Jedi, which I surprisingly I liked it a lot better than I thought halfway through the book. Once I got to the end, I was like, this is a much better book than I thought it was going to be. But when I got done, I'm like, okay, I'm already behind on this one. I'm behind on Into the Void. Uh, I'm just going to jump into Crucible and try to be on time on that and go back to Into the Void. And uh, It sucks, man. I hate being behind like that. It's not something I'm, I'm accustomed to, you know, being the defender of the EU and all that. It's like I feel like I need to be up to date all the time, you know, and... and there's a couple of uh, choices of one. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I haven't read it. I'm, I'm behind on that too. It's not just the Star Wars Clone Wars Gambit Siege. There are actually three books I haven't read. Yes, the other one is Scourge. Scourge. I'm not sure how you say it, but I always say it wrong or say it five different ways. But that one too. I'm like ah. So I can't let Into the Void be one of those where I just, you know, wait. I'm gonna be like, oh, I'm gonna jump into Kenobi next. I'm like, and I'm already looking at it like. Ooh, this is going to be good. So I'm like flipping through it, spoiling myself. You know, we were talking pre-show how I spoil myself like that. I, I've got to the point, though, where I, I don't look at the last page as much. I used to read the last page first and then jump in. I still look at the last sentence, but I'm like, even then, I'm like, don't do it, don't do it. Oh, you did it again. Really? You know, slap I'm, on the back of your hand. I'm glad you said that because I told Frank Parisi that I read the end of the book one time, and he was like, freaked out that why I would do that. And I said, that's what Star Wars fans do. They read the end <laughs> of the book first. And it just boggled his mind. They were all shocked. They talked about it around the Delray office for like three days. Oh my God. <laughs> that, see, I'm, I'm, I'm with him. That completely boggles my mind as well. I try to avoid spoilers like the plague. And I definitely, like I, if I accidentally see something in the future of a book, I get mad at myself. But I hope you guys didn't I, I do that for scoundrels. I a post once where you were like, hey, you, you, and I think all I said was that, that somebody big died, but like I, I left it vague enough that people thought it was the big three and everybody's like, spoiler, you spoiler. I'm like, oh, dude, I, I didn't mean that way. Oh, yeah. I yeah, I remember that. We had our little Twitter, our little Twitter fight where I was like, what are you doing giving spoilers out? See, and that's Twitter, man. You, you like anytime anyone misunderstands anything, it's like you feel like it's a fight, you know? Like you're like, oh god, I got 140 characters to to, to let everyone understand what I mean. Oh, I'm not gonna get this right. Someone's gonna misinterpret what I say. And then of course it's like the first tweet back. You're like, ooh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I totally worded it where it could be a oh, way bad interpretation. Bad that's why. Bad. That's why you have to put a smiley face or a little winky or something at the end. So <laughs> yes. lol. I'm yes. just kidding. <laughs> JK. Yeah, meanwhile, you're doing, yeah, the wink. I'm just kidding. Wink, wink. Nod, nod, nudge, nudge. You know what I mean. <laughs> well, and for most of you that are listening to this podcast, you probably already know who Mark Herleman is, but he, because I didn't say it earlier, uh, he is actually a host of, I think you're up to three or is it four now podcasts out there? Uh, you know, if Jedi Jones had his way, it would be four all the time. I'm technically on a Marvel cast with him, but it's very loose structured because he understands where I'm at. But yeah, I started on a new cast. I'm still doing that. Uh, in fact, this will be the first episode of, uh, uh, William's calling it season two, I call it season three or 2.0, uh, but this will be the first one I'm missing. And they were like, oh no, let's reschedule, let's reschedule. And I'm like, dude, we can't reschedule. We're doing it once a month. we got to hit this. you got three people. You're going to be fine. You don't need me to be there. <laughs> and they're all like, we got to have you come back, man. you got to be here for it. And I'm like, no, no, you, there's three of us on there. You don't need a fourth right now. Uh, and then, you know, of course, the Star Wars report, you know, when we founded the website and all that and that good stuff. And, of course, you know, with EUcast doing its first hiatus, I was like, man, i got to talk about the EU more. And Nathan, the EU review was dropping down, and that was just perfect timing, man. And we've been doing that ever since and happened to uh, have yet 
to miss an episode. I, I'm I'm nervous about that because uh, I've been late a day or two, but for the most part, we've been able to just boom, 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 continue on over uh, vacations, weddings, and you name it. It's been it's been fun. Awesome. Yeah, I actually have a bone to pick with Riley because uh, when when you guys uh, have your Beyond the Films podcast in the intro, he says the official. Star Wars Expanded Universe podcast of Star of the Star Wars Report Network or something like that. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, wait, there's another Star Wars Expanded Universe podcast in the Star Wars Report Network. So does that make us the unofficial Star Wars Expanded Universe podcast? I don't know. I need to ask that, Riley. Well, complimentary. I don't know. Well, oh, I was thinking about because like like right now we're uh, we're gonna be hitting like another little mini break because he's just started college. Plus he's doing all his cap stuff, and he's like, we may be missing the next four episodes. And I'm I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, we're slow because we, me and Nathan, haven't missed an episode yet. We're slowly catching up. I'm like, here in a minute, we're gonna pass him. I'm like, if we pass him, does that make us the flagship? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is only the seventh episode of Star Wars Bookworms, so I don't think we're you're in any danger of us catching up with you. Mm. Since Considering, <laughs> considering we're only a monthly podcast, that would take us quite a few years, I think. Well, I, the things I've been doing lately as far as Star Wars goes, I'll just say a couple things. I actually had the the privilege of going to Lucasfilm recently. Uh, nice. my, I saw those pictures. Awesome. Yeah, my brother was getting married out in, in uh, the San Francisco area, so I didn't want to pass up the opportunity. So I, I contacted Pablo Hidalgo and just said, hey, I'm going to be in the area. And uh, he invited me over to to have lunch with him and get a quick little tour. Me and my wife were both able to go, so I kind of feel like I've, wow. I've I've gone to the promised land, maybe you could call it, or Mecca. I'm yeah, not sure. <laughs> did you bow before the Yoda statue? I did. I don't. I didn't actually bow, but I did go to the Yoda statue twice. We went the day before to kind of get some pictures, and then we went. I went again, uh, obviously, when I went to Lucasfilm. Yeah, it was it was awesome. I it was better than I could imagine. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever been to the to the building itself. Have you guys no. been there? I, no. I have. Yeah, that, okay. and that's why I asked because the people came up next to me while I was posing with my nephews and niece, and they did bow down before the statue. So it was nice. Like, I was like, oh, okay, wow. Yeah, <laughs> I think I would do it. I would totally have a Wayne and Garth. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, the people I was traveling with, which is my family. They're not nearly into Star Wars the way I am. So to them, it was kind of like an annoyance that we had to go to this out of the, you know, <laughs> off the beaten path place for this Yoda fountain. And they're just like, okay, get your pictures. Let's go, you know, kind of attitude. So nice. I'll need to visit again with more diehard fans, and then maybe we could do a little bit better photo ops. See, that would be me and my dad while my mom and my sister are like, look at these geeks. Yeah. <laughs> And my dad's the big Trekkie, so, you know, I totally got him hooked right away, and <laughs> we'd be hitting that up right away, dude. That'd be the first thing I did. <laughs> I love the picture, though, you and your wife jumping up in the air. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, my wife did play along pretty well, and then my brother did some of, we tried to do some Vadering pictures inside the building, um, nice. which we we got one that turned out pretty good, and he, he played along with me on that one, even though he's not a big Star Wars fan either, but... The security guard kept looking over at us every time we jump up in the air. <laughs> uh, he's probably like, I know what you're doing. Yeah, 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 he's like, this is probably not the first time he's seen that. So I'm sure. But, um, yeah, I had a great time. Uh, Pablo was awesome to let me go through, and he actually took his time to really show us through the place and kind of explain almost everything that we saw. And there was a lot more there that was not Star Wars related. 
um, that I was than I was expecting. It was really cool to see all the stuff that ILMs worked on, but just like the models and just the matte paintings all over the walls and the movie posters. So yeah, it was it was an awesome awesome time to go through there. Now, does Pablo do all the tours? I mean, Tricia, were you able to have the same uh, oh, experience I just, there? I just went into the into the office into the. Um to the statue in front. I've never been up. Like, you can go in during the day into the front entrance. So that's where, as far as I got. I didn't go when I knew anybody. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the See, key. You have to know somebody, and luckily I knew Pablo. Yeah, I, th I think just being able to go and hang out with Pablo would be just as much fun as going to Lucasfilm itself. I mean, <laughs> be like, dude, I'm going to pick your brain for like yeah. at least five minutes. Okay? I was I was trying to get him to slip some information. You know, I was having lunch with them. At the, they have a beautiful cafeteria. It's unbelievable. They have, I mean, you would think, of course, a, a company that's owned by George Lucas. They, you know, there's they pulled out all the stops when they built that place. But, um, oh, I bet. They have this beautiful cafeteria where one of the walls is just all glass and it just overlooks the bay. And you can see... Uh, you can see the Golden Gate Bridge from you know, you, while you're sitting there eating your hamburger. It's it's unbelievable. Oh so, dear. Yeah, but he we did have a, a nice long conversation over lunch. I did try to pick his brain a little bit, but he was very tight lipped on anything related to Star Wars Episode Seven or Rebels. So, oh, I bet. <laughs> I'd ask him stupid questions like, "How many digits are there in an astromech serial number?" I mean, <laughs> <laughs> How many hyphens and dashes? I need to know. I got to get it right. Whistler needs to have identification on his box. <laughs> yeah, but he was awesome, and I actually gave him a gift. Uh, you know, I, I call it a gift. It was more of a bribe. But uh, <laughs> if you let me in the building, I'll give you this limited edition Transformers poster. Yeah, this so is I, your hush money. <laughs> yeah, I brought, I brought that along with me, and he and he took it graciously. So um, yeah, but it was a great time. I was I was happy to be able to make it make it out there. And if any anybody ever makes it out to San Francisco, I would definitely recommend at least go to the Yoda statue and check it out, just so you can be near where the magic is made. Yeah, you know, now that you mentioned that, I mean, I, I went to San Francisco when I was much younger, but it was actually before I got as, you know, whip, wickedly obsessed with Star Wars. Yeah. Well, I'm going to try to go out again sometime, so maybe we can coordinate a trip, Mark, because I didn't get to go to Rancho Obi-Wan or anything like that. So, you know, maybe, nice. we, could, maybe we could coordinate a, a Star Wars report retreat or something like that. Let's talk <laughs> like, to Riley. Aaron, how big's your backpack, man? Yeah. Let's, let's <laughs> cut me some air holes. <laughs> or you could just make uh, Fanboys 2, you know, with your iPod. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, I, I like the way you're going with that. <laughs> Try to break into Skywalker Ranch before Episode 7. Yeah, I like that. That's, uh... He should have slipped the bribe to the guard, not to Pablo. Not to Pablo, yeah. He's not going to let us in. Yeah, right. <laughs> I could just see the Star Wars versus Star Trek scene. I'll be like the negotiator trying to calm everyone down. Come on, can't we all coexist? No, no! Come on, please! No, no, but I like them both tough! <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, uh, let's go ahead and get right into the reviews. Um, let's talk some Darth Maul death sentence. Uh, Mark, why don't you do us the honors and give us the stats? Star Wars, Darth Maul, death sentence. Release date, May 15th, 2013. Writer, Tom Taylor. Great writer, by the way, if you didn't know. Artist, Bruno Bendondo. Timeline, 20 BBY. Oh, uh, that's set between Seasons 4 and Seasons 5 of The Clone Wars, that awesome cartoon show that we all cried about when it got canceled, that even though it turned into Rebels and we're excited for it, we still miss. Uh, and our great synopsis here is, Fearsome Sith Lord Darth Maul, rescued and restored after surviving his confrontation with Obi-Wan Kenobi in The Phantom Menace, wreaks havoc through the galaxy with his brother, Savage Opress, 
when the brothers' murderous rampage is interrupted by a bounty placed on their heads by Jaboga, the duo decides to target him, only to be met by a team of Jedi and Jaboga's own private army. See, this is why I had you read it, because I've, I've heard you do these type of things on Star Wars Beyond the Films, and I knew what you were going to bring to the table, and I was not <laughs> disappointed. Well, I love you. it. That's awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about it. So what did you guys think kind of overall about the comic? Just your you know, initial quick thoughts. Did you like it? Did you, did you love it? I liked it. Um, I don't think it was the best comic I ever read, but it had some fun stuff, and it had some good Star Wars homages. So I thought it was pretty decent. When I first saw it, I didn't think I was going to like it. I, you know, the whole bring them all back, I was like, I don't know where we're going to go with this. I was a little trepidatious. But right away, I really enjoyed it. I loved, I loved the illustrations, and the story actually captured me right away. In fact, I think it was more Savage and Maul's interaction and their presence on the page that I really enjoyed. Like, not just the colors, but the depth of the shadows around their eyes and their faces. The covers don't give the inside justice, in my opinion. I didn't care for the covers as much as I did the actual comic but hands down I really enjoyed it I thought it was a fun ride yeah and I have to agree with you on that mark as far as the covers go I know they were done by Dave Dorman who is you know kind of a bit of a legendary Star Wars artist but I just it's not my my style like it just I wasn't a huge fan of it but the art inside the comic itself I really did love I thought that was some of the better stuff that we've seen in Dark Horse comics recently you know so hats off to Mr. Redondo I thought I thought the artistry in the in the comic itself was great. What do you think about the art, Tricia? I really I actually really liked it. Um, there was it looked very active, and you could follow it naturally. I'm not like a good comic reader in that I understand it. A lot of times I'll get confused, but this one it was like yeah, you could sort of pop, things popped out. It was very easy to follow. It was clean, and um, I just thought that especially the the you know Darth Maul and Savage Press really kind of popped out and their action stood out on the page. So as far as the Clone Wars goes, though, this is kind of a story that comes in between Seasons 4 and Seasons 5 of Clone Wars. How did you guys feel about how it fit in with the tone of Clone Wars? Because the Clone Wars, um, although it could get a little intense, it, it never quite got as intense, in my opinion, as this comic is, um, as far as like the violence level, the blood... You know, that type of thing. Did you guys, how did you feel as far as the tone? Do you think this fits well with the Clone Wars? Or is this a story that you wouldn't necessarily recommend maybe to the same kids that are watching the Clone Wars? I don't think it was a kid's uh, comic, this one. I thought that it was the right medium to get a little bit more adult in tone than the the series was. Although the series could be pretty, you know, intense at times. This was just a better medium to do it. So I was fine with um, the way it, it played out on the page uh, compared to the show. It was kind of nice to get a real adult story that they didn't have to temper themselves. Yeah, I'd have to actually agree with that assessment. I mean, comic-wise, it's no more or less than any other Star Wars comic I've read when it comes to violence. In the TV show, it had its moments, but Blood-wise, you know, there was never any blood, but, I mean, think of the Camino episodes where, you know, you watch all those infants in their little uh, jars all get snuffed out. I mean, there was hundreds, if not thousands, of babies being just murdered right there in front of you, but uh, we didn't know because the characters were running across the bridge while that was happening, and we were panned on them at the time. But 
you know, I, I really think that, yeah, this is definitely aimed for the more adult audience. You know, one of the things I love in the first episode, though, I, I thought was so great because, you know, for many of us out there that weren't paying attention, I say us, I was, I was paying attention to Clone Wars, but those that weren't paying attention to Clone Wars, they heard about Darth Maul coming back and were freaking out. And I love the fact that, you know, in the first bit, Dre, uh, the Padawan, is being talked to by his master and, and why they're being brought to the council. And she's like, I fear it concerns Darth Maul. Darth Maul is dead. So we thought. Master Obi-Wan cut him in two, and Maul both halves fell into a reactor shaft. His legs were completely not attached to the body! And she's like, rest assured, Dre, I don't think both halves survived. I doubt Maul's legs are running around by themselves seeking vengeance. <laughs> I just like, yes, because I, you know, fandom-wise, there was somebody out there on Facebook or Twitter that was asking that same thing. Where's his legs? <laughs> yeah, I know my friend uh, Josh Stolt, I think you guys probably know him. He is an artist, and he actually did a drawing that was like uh, Darth Maul's legs with kind of a <laughs> droid body on the top half. So, yeah, that definitely was going through fandom's mind, and I think uh, Tom Taylor just kind of called it out in the comic, which I, I thought was humorous, although I did think they kind of overused the whole, you know, Darth Maul cut-in-half joke throughout the series. Yeah. They kept kind of coming back to it, and, like, any time one of the Jedi was facing off against him, It'd kind of be like, oh, shouldn't you be, you know, whatever. Like, I forget, like, you're only half a man. Or, like, they just kept yeah. saying, like, the little digs at him about being cut in half. I thought it was overused a little bit. Well, it kind of makes sense, though. I mean, because you're a Jedi, and you're going up against a Sith. And aside from Obi-Wan, who struck the Sith down, I mean, no one's seen a Sith anymore. What are you really going to bring to the table but taunts, you know? <laughs> hey, you're half the man you used to be. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! Well... Well, we have these Jedi that have been sent um, to go get Darth Maul. Basically, the story is Darth Maul and Savage Press have had a bounty put on their head. And they're going down, you know, how dare you put a bounty on our head? We're going to go kill you to this, this guy that owns this mine. So while they're going to do that, at the same time, the Jedi Council are sending these Jedi to go stop them as well. Um, so we have these three Jedi. And I know the... Um, the Padawan, he actually is kind of known, I guess, to comic book fans if you've been following the Invasion series. Is that right, Mark? That is correct. That is Dre. Okay, because I, I actually have not read the Invasion series yet. I haven't gotten to that. So, But I had just kind of heard through the grapevine that this was the same character uh, that yeah, showed up. And it was, you know, it was exciting at that time because they hadn't said, well, we've reached a satisfactory ending with Invasion. Uh, at that point, so you really thought, oh, they're going to do something with Dre, they're bringing him in, because Dre in the comic series for Invasion was kind of like a Jedi that wasn't a Jedi that was kind of a little crazy, and so you're kind of wondering, like, oh, are we going to start to see that, or are they going to do something with this character, and then now they're like, well, we're, we're good, we're good, we've reached an end, we don't know what's going on with whole Finn over here, but we're done. <laughs> well, when they when the Council sent these Jedi off to get Darth Maul and, and Savage Press. We have these three Jedi that basically are pretty much unknown. Other than Dre, you know, if you haven't read the Invasion series, you don't even know who he is. Did you guys, kind of, Trisha, did you get the feeling that these were kind of like red shirts? Like, we've never heard of these people, so they're probably <laughs> going to die. I love that. <laughs> well, it's Darth Maul and Savage Press, so I guess you sort of had, it's sort of like, you know, the... Uh, you you sort of know the conceit going in, maybe, but I still kind of got to, I like them. I thought they were worthy characters of the death. They weren't, they didn't just go, oh, they're red shirts. We won't give them any, any depth or anything or a reason to care. So 
Yeah. Yeah, they were pretty cool characters, I thought. I, I actually really liked the, the character of uh, Master Judd, which, although that's a kind of an odd yeah. name, I thought J- Judd sounds like, you know, my cousin or something from South Carolina and not like a reptilian Jedi Master. But other than the name, I thought the character was really cool. Um, I don't think we even know what species he is. I don't think it was ever kind of set in stone. No, I don't think so either. I think they left it vague on purpose, you know. I, I like the name Judd, though. Any name I can say and pronounce and, and feel like I'm saying it right, I'm like, yes, thank you. Well, he, he wouldn't show up in a Tim Zahn book then because it's yeah. too easy to pronounce. Exactly. Although if, if he was on one of the films, they'd probably call him Judd, Jude, and, and Jade or something else. You should <laughs> like send... the Han, Han, and Han. Weren't they Twittering today about how to say Jan to Donna or... Today, you should Twitter to Pablo and say, how do we say Judd? Yeah. Is it Judd? Is it Jude? It has to or do be we do Judy. like the clone? Yeah, is it Judd D? But, <laughs> I like that one. So, so, okay, we'll get, since Pablo did ask, what, what do you, how do you guys think you're supposed to pronounce uh, Jan to Donna? Just like you said it. Jan? Yeah, that's how I always said, Jan to Donna. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, a lot of people were saying like yawn hmm. on Twitter today, which I thought was weird. I mean, I did that with, with uh, John Cross. I was calling him Johan Cross for a while. <laughs> Nathan's like, I don't think it's supposed to be like that. I'm like, oh, man, I got it wrong again. Well, the beauty of Star Wars names is we're allowed to mispronounce them because in the movies they were constantly pronouncing names different ways. So I think yeah. it's just kind yeah. of a standard thing in the Star Wars universe that you can just pronounce it however the heck you want. My favorite yeah. one is when Lando called Leia Lair. I'm like, ooh, Lair <laughs> Chewy, what? <laughs> <laughs> And she's Leah sometimes. There's a couple times where it gets more that way, too. So, Yeah, a lot of Princess Leah. <laughs> I'm like, wait, did they just say that? Yep. You know, one thing, again, going back to the art in issue one, I, I think the thing I love the most about Maul and Savage is the way that with the cowls dropping over their face and the darkness around them and the way it blends into their facial tattoos. The, the ink that they used or the crispness of all the lines is just beautiful in this. I mean, there's a scene where you look past and they're sitting inside their cockpit and it looks like Savage is driving. They both have their hoods up and even behind them, like the dash of the lights, like everything's really vibrant and crisp, even though at the same time the whole panel is kind of oversaturated with red, it works. Yeah, definitely. I like. I can't say it enough how much I really enjoyed the art in this comic book. Because um, with comic art, like it's really hit and miss for me personally. You know, I can really get drawn into a story, even if the story isn't that great, if the art is good. And that's kind of how this. I I I felt like this story was very strong, uh, but I think because the art was so well done that it really made me enjoy it even more. Yeah. I mean, when, when they come in and they have that one miner walk down with the thermal detonator, and they're like, what are you doing? I don't know. And it blows up. I just, I love the next panel. I mean, now, brother, we move as Sith, says Maul. <laughs> we move in confusion. We move in fear. And they both ignite their lights and start cutting people down. We move in chaos. I'm like, yes, we got some more Sith on the loose. I mean, I was beginning to think, like, could we have a whole other order that spawns out of this? Is this where Craig got the idea for the one Sith and all the tattoos after all? <laughs> So basically, um, when the Jedi do get there, um, they pretty much fight Darth Maul and Savage Repressed right away. And there was a couple of surprising things that I thought that happened during the battle. Um, number one, we have Dre, who actually gets a shot in on Darth Maul and kind of sticks him right through the side, I guess that is. It was kind of hard to tell if he actually got him anywhere that there was, there was still flesh or not. 
but it seemed to it seemed to hurt him. So I guess he I guess he got him high enough up that he actually got him. No, I yeah, that is a good question because it is where the bands wrap around the torso. But I don't know. I want to say it, it's lower than. I don't know. It, it, it's right in the middle band of the three. I mean, it's a tough that's a tough call. Yeah, I guess it doesn't really seem like it did do that much damage to him. So maybe, yeah, maybe he just got him kind of in the robot parts. I mean, because, yeah, I mean, I would think if it was got him in the non-robot parts, it wouldn't have just been a question mark. There would have been an exclamation point, too. <laughs> <laughs> but then we have Dre just literally gets his hands chopped off right there, which was, I, I thought was kind of shocking. I was like, whoa, like, yeah. how are they going to fix that? Um Oh, and you also had Maul doing that great using his legs to break Judd's arm. I mean, that was I, I think that for me was when I started to realize that Maul could now have more of a general grievous aspect to him with how he uses his legs. I mean, that that's I think for me that was like, oh wow, where are we going with this? And of course, you know, we in see in the next season of the Clone Wars they changed the legs. So I never quite really enjoyed that, but I really liked how they worked that. I mean, when you see Maul jumping around and doing flips and stuff. I, they really did a really good job with all the fighting in this. Yeah. But the thing that I thought was interesting as far as uh, Dre getting his hands cut off was the solution to the problem is they were they were able to put him into the back-to-tank and reattach his hands, um, which is something I don't think we've really seen before in Star Wars as far as usually when somebody gets their limbs cut off, that's pretty final. They're getting a robotic arm or, or they're going to walk around without an arm. Yeah, but I've never seen this technique where they actually could reattach. Uh, what did you guys think about that? Well, if you reattach a, a limb quick enough, it's recoverable. I do know that. So um, there was a, a young boy across the street who had his foot cut off cleanly, and they put it right back on, and he was walking. So it isn't like it's a medical impossibility, and since back does a big, um, you know, kind of the cure-all I I guess I didn't it didn't bother me too much uh, other than you know it's kind of cool to see people walking around with out you know mechanical hands and so Star do you, Wars. Do you think Tanel Ka is mad that they didn't have a back to tank close enough to save her arm? Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that when the Vong fought she should have got a droid arm just to fight him. I got your blasphemy! <laughs> she chose but she chose ultimately not to to get a, you know, a false arm or robotic arm. So I don't know no if maybe... for me. Yeah, I don't know if maybe that was just... I don't know. I could think you could do stuff with a character about what that says about her, but maybe, you know, maybe. Well, I, I recall that they did. That it was, it was more not so much about pride, but because of how she was in the young books, how she was always out there being ex, uh, exercised, like, I don't even know how to say it, but she was out there exercising all the time, being athletic. There we go. She was being athletic all the time, doing the cartwheels and stuff, and she was trying to get back to that without having to rely on anything. And I, I remember thinking, you know, when the New Jedi Order came along, like, that was the perfect opportunity for them to flip the script and be like, okay, well, now she could do it as a taunt, you know? Like, I'm going to wear this, this robotic arm just to get the Vong all mad at me and, and have him come at me, but they never went there. I was like, oh, you guys could have. But, but to answer what you're saying, and for me, I was kind of more obvious. I, I was kind of, like, wanting more of a, a, a better explanation, like, well, once we put Dre's arms back on, because the skin was carterized, we had to remove about an inch and a half on each side. So your arms are a little shorter than they were. you got a little T-Rex <laughs> action going on or something. Because 
the whole uh, to me the cauterization is is what would make it more hard. I mean, you know, it, it, just you you said you know that they're able to do with that kid, but I don't think if his if his stump and the arm stump were both cauterized, I don't think they'd be able to do it. I don't. Well, that I don't know, but I, it it was. I don't know, I guess in the comic there's not enough time, to, like in a novel, you could actually do a paragraph or two to explain it, but... Yeah. <laughs> this is what we do, Trisha. We overanalyze. That's what we do. I didn't think too <laughs> <possibilities>. <laughs> Yeah, but, okay, so let's talk a little bit about this uh, race of people that are living on this planet that basically the miner has has driven them from their cave homes that protect them from this... Uh, three sun rising. I forget the name of it in the in the comic itself. Itself, but basically they're all going to get torched if they don't get back into these caves. So they think that Darth Maul is this uh, demon in the light. I think they called him. Yep. That is supposed the to day come. Of three suns. The demon in the light. Yeah. <laughs> so he's basically they they think that he is this person that's sent to lead their army to take back their caves. Um, what did you guys think about this this group of people? I kind of thought they looked a little odd. They kinda, they look like cats. Yeah, I, like I thought the, the the main chief looks like the Grinch, dude, straight up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't I didn't like the character design at all for these for those characters specifically. I just thought, you know, we have a lot of cat species already kind of in the Star Wars expanded universe. They um, looked like they were from the musical Cats is what yeah. they looked like. <laughs> This is what happened when Cathar and Karelians breed for too long. <laughs> you yeah. don't want to go to that planet, trust me. <laughs> yeah, a little too cutesy. I don't know. I just wasn't a big fan of the of the design. It doesn't sound like you guys were thrilled with it either. Or were you okay with it being too cutesy? I, w I sort of, when I flipped to that page compared to it, when they were first introduced, it seems so kind of, I was like, am I on an ad or something? Like, I didn't realize it was still part of the, because there was a Jedi Order, I think, but right before that, and you had the Sith before that. So it just sort of seemed, they that seemed out of place um, it, within um, some good artwork. I don't know. I don't know if it was just, you know, they went to kind of purples and a blue and then the red in the background. I don't know. I wasn't crazy about their design. I, I just couldn't escape the Dr. Seuss of it all. I mean, I was just, I was like, where's where's Cindy Lou Who? I, I see the Grinch, okay, we got the mayor, all right, yeah, and I see the guy throwing the spear over there. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it worked, I guess, in that regard of, you know, there's a lot of cat species out there, and just like the Jedi, the dark Jedi that ended up breeding with the Sith and becoming the Sith that we know, maybe this is a little bit of that, and that's why they look a little Cathar-like, but not quite, I don't know. I could rationalize this a hundred ways from Sunday, but... I don't know. I wasn't a big fan. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So let's. Uh, we're not going to spend too much time on this because we want to leave some time for uh, into the void. But um, we do want to talk about kind of the. I guess kind of you could call it a twist in the story, in the fact that um, all along I guess the people thought that Darth Maul was the demon in the light, but then in the end you find out that it was actually um, Jedi Master Judd. Um, he was actually the demon in the light because he, as a, this reptilian species, I guess to them kind of looked like a demon as well. Um, I actually liked the twist. I thought it was kind of cool. Um, I kind of felt like he was doomed, like I said, from the beginning when uh, the Jedi Council sent them. And like I was saying, they were kind of like red shirts, so I didn't feel like he was going to survive the comic anyways. So I was expecting him to die, but the fact that he died the way he did, I thought that was a nice little twist. Uh, how did you guys feel about that? 
I thought it worked in the story. Um, you know that you it was it worked in the setup of the story. So it was it wasn't something that I was like, oh wow. And I sort of like to see things that when you look back on the story, they make sense. How they you know they misinterpreted. Um, or, you know, sometimes things you think they are aren't. So I liked it. I, I did, too. I mean, I like the way that the plot moved everything along. By the time you get to that point, you know, the, the day uh, the three sons has come, Obi-Wan shows up with his troopers and stuff. I mean, him and, and Judd are trying to hold the door open so everyone else can get in, and Obi-Wan's like, oh, Judd, we're out of time. And he's like, my skin is tougher than yours. Get inside and keep the doors up. I'll be right behind you. I will hold the door for it. And all of a sudden, Obi-Wan's floating. What? Master Judd, you're never going to make it. And he shoves him. It's all right. This is meant to happen. I mean, that was an excellent twist. I didn't see it coming. I mean, Nathan, he did when we were talking about it. But totally, totally didn't, didn't see that coming. I love anything that deals with, with prophecy and the way that they tied it in and the way that, you know, you totally bought that Maul was the demon in the light, the way they played it up before. I mean, they got separated, him and Savage. Savage got encased with the carbonite. Maul ended up going out into the uh, desert and passing out, and that's when the cat people found him. I, I, I totally bought it. I thought Maul was going to be the one. I was like, ooh, Maul's going to get an army. This is going to be crazy good. You know, I mean, I was looking at Lawless early, but I was way, way too soon. <laughs> yeah, I thought they were almost kind of setting up Darth Maul to be this, this almost hero character when, when they had him meet up with these cat people, and they're the de they said he was the demon in the light that was going to come help them. You know, I was kind of thinking, wow, are they starting to try to make us think that he's he's got some good in him? But then they quickly took that away, you know, when they have that scene where, you know, the one the one guy fell down and he told him, you know, not to help him. And then he broke the guy's leg and all that stuff. And he has that evil look in his eyes. So I was like, OK, never mind. They're not they're not trying to make us think he's good at all. Yeah, he's yeah. still a bad guy. He yeah, I, I never I never thought he was going to go flip. <laughs> yeah, I I just thought like. I thought for a minute that they were going to try to go that direction with it because they always seem to try to make these bad characters have some element of good in them so we can kind of root for them, kind of like a Boba Fett type character. And so I was thinking, oh, are they going to do that with Darth Maul? But yeah, you're right. I shouldn't I shouldn't have ever even thought that because he's just he's too evil of a character. They can never really redeem him. You got to go into the Sith point of view here. I mean, to be good is to be evil, and Maul kind of went out as a chump, so he's got to be even more evil than he was in Episode One to be good, because that's how good of a villain he was. <laughs> well, ultimately, Obi Wan kind of comes and saves the day with the help, obviously, a big help of Judd. Um, did you guys think that Obi Wan was a necessary part of this story, or did they just kind of throw him in there so we have a familiar Jedi to latch onto? I. I love Obi-Wan, but I didn't think he necessarily needed to come into this. But thematically with the Clone Wars, maybe I could see how that worked. Um, I, I don't know. I didn't need him to come save the day in this case. I thought they could have worked it out with the characters they had. Yeah, I mean, he didn't need to show up. I, I liked him showing up, though. I think it kind of ties well with the Clone Wars show. I mean, you know, he's knowing Maul's out there. He's wanting to kind of do things and, and, you know, make it right again. And so having him show up and be in close proximity to Maul kind of escalates that. And, you know, by the time you get back to Lawless and stuff, their encounter again, it's again at the forefront of Obi-Wan's mind because he was, again, so close to Maul and missed him. Uh, but they didn't need to have him show up. I mean, it could have been any other Jedi. I mean, they didn't even have to have another Jedi show up, but 
I don't know. I, I enjoyed it for what it was because then you got to have clones there, and it just, I don't know, it brought in the Clone Wars aspect by having him show up when he did, riding in with the cavalry. Um, I think he was, it was nice to see him, but I kind of agree with Trisha. I don't really think he was necessary for this story. They could have done it without him, but um, it did make sense. You know, he's that recognizable Jedi. You know, not everybody that reads these comics um, is going to want to read a story that doesn't have anybody, you know, Obi-Wan, Anakin, Ahsoka, somebody. So they, I think they obviously threw him in there just to kind of give that familiar face. Um, well, let's let's go ahead and wrap this one up. Um, well, really quick before you do, I have a question for you. What did you guys think of the use of Carbonite on Savage Press when he got encased in it? <laughs> I thought, I actually kind of thought that was a, a weird device to use, but it, it made sense. They needed to kind of take him out of the picture for a while, and I guess that was the way they did it. I wish they had come up with a different way. It was kind of an odd thing that you can cut into this barrel and then get perfectly, you know, encased in Carbonite by doing that. That seemed, seemed kind of, it seemed like way more of a specific scientific process when you see it happen to Han Solo. You know, they had to lower him down there, and then they're checking the dials, making sure that he, you know, he's in perfect hibernation. So the fact that it just basically splashed onto Savage Press and it kind of had the same effect I thought was a little weird. But, yeah, it was neither here nor there. I guess it was just kind of a story device. Yeah, say, exactly. I, I, don't, I think within the workings of Star Wars, they maybe didn't think about how Carbonite was applied in the movie and really tried to stay within the rules of the galaxy far, far away, especially of the cinema. But... I didn't, it didn't really, like, I didn't go, ooh, that that ruined it for me. I knew he needed to be gone to make the rest of the story work. Um, so let's, yeah, let's go ahead and wrap this one up uh, with just kind of your final overall thoughts. Um, starting with you, Tricia, you know, basically, would you recommend this comic to someone? Do you think it was a great read, or was it kind of uh, a little disappointing for you? Um, I don't read everything in the comics universe, but I, I read select things, and I would recommend this one, especially if you liked Clone Wars or you like Darth Maul. Um, this is a, it's a good read. It's a, it's a fun, engaging story, um, and it's got good artwork. So, yes, I, I would pick it up. And I, I do read every uh, Star Wars comic that comes out. I try to be on top of it. But I really enjoyed this one a lot. Um, I enjoyed it as it was coming out in singles, which usually, you know, you're a little trepidatious. You're like, okay, this first issue was good. Is the second one going to be good? And then you get the second one. You're like, is the third one going to? Nope, third one dropped the ball. But this one was solid all the way through. The art was great. You know, as, as you said, Aaron, for me, I'm the same way. Art will make or break a comic or how much I enjoy it. Uh, and the art was the type that I really enjoyed. I, I thought it was a fun comic. And Darth Maul-wise, uh, you know, I think it was better than the uh, Star Wars Darth Maul comic where he went up against Black Sun. And that was a good one, too. Yeah, that was definitely a great one. That's actually one of my favorite comics. Um, that's a Jan, that's a Jan and John comic, isn't it? Uh, that is uh, Derisma, but not John. Okay. It's, uh, Mars Derisma, McGare, and McKeg. I'm probably saying okay. the names wrong, but. And yeah. you didn't just say those off the top of your head, did you? No, it's sitting here next <laughs> to me. <laughs> I was gonna be amazed, but uh, no, was... no. With my with my lack of being able to say these names, like I'd be able to have those in my head. No, no, they're all jumbled like numbers in my head. Yeah, for me, this comic was one of the best that I've read in a while. I really enjoyed it. 
Um, I thought the story was cool. It had a few things I didn't like. I didn't necessarily like the carbonite thing. I didn't like the cheesy, you should be cut in half jokes. Um, But other than that, I really thought it was kind of a clever story, nice little side characters. I like it when they kind of, you know, introduce these other Jedi into into the Star Wars universe. Even if they kill them off right away, that's fine with me. I I like to know more about the different Jedi that were doing things during the Clone Wars. Um, So, yeah, I really like the comic. Definitely would recommend it to people to check out. and yeah, that's pretty much it. So let's go ahead and move on to Into the Void. And I don't know, Mark, is this? Uh, can you stick with us, or do you need to go at this point? Uh, I'll do like I did and intro it for you, and then I got to bounce. Yeah, I, I got wife with food, and she's like, "When are you coming in here?" I know, I told you I'd be in here a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. So give us your give us the the intro, and then we'll uh, we'll say goodbye. All right. Star Wars: Dawn of the Jedi Into the Void. Release date, May 7th, 2013. Author, Tim Liebham. That's his first Star Wars novel, by the way. The timeline is 25,793 years before the Battle of Yavin. Synopsis. On the planet Tython, the ancient Jedi Order was founded. At the feet of its wise masters, Lanaray Brock learned the mysteries and methods of the Force. And found her calling as one of the most powerful disciples. But as strongly as the force flowed within Lannery and her parents, it remained absent in her brother, who grew to despise and shun the Jedi, and whose training in its ancient ways ended in tragedy. Now, from her solitary life as a ranger, keeping order across the galaxy, Lannery has been summoned by the Jedi Council on a matter of utmost urgency. The leader of a fanatical cult obsessed with traveling beyond the reaches of known space is bent on opening a cosmic gateway using dreaded dark matter as the key, risking a cataclysmic reaction that will consume the entire star system, but more shocking to Lanaray than even the prospect of total galactic annihilation is the decision of her Jedi Masters to task her with the mission of preventing it, until a staggering revelation makes clear why she was chosen. The brilliant, dangerous madman she must track down and stop at any cost is the brother whose death she has long grieved and whose life she must now fear. All right, Mark. Thanks for that, and uh, we'll go ahead and let you go. Thanks for uh, joining us tonight, though. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Look forward to some time coming back on. You guys uh, have a good night. Trisha, good to talk to you again. Good night. Everybody. Later. Later, Mark. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Whistler says bye, too. <laughs> All right, Tricia, so it's up to us uh, left to talk about Into the Void. How did you, how did you like the novel overall? Um, the novel took a little bit of time for me to get engaged in it. Um, I thought it finished very strongly. Um, and so it, it was de- it's definitely writing-wise, one of the, um, craft-wise, one of the better books I've read recently. And, um, I felt like um, it just got stronger as it went along. Now, for you uh, specifically, I know you you pretty much read all the books. I don't have you read all the Star Wars books, or are you for the most part have you read all the Star Wars books that are out there? There are some I wish I hadn't years ago. You know, 
You know, I think you guys on the Google chat were talking about, you know, some of the ones that you might not want to, you know, remember from back in the day. But yes, I have read pretty much all of them. Okay, so what is your kind of favorite era to read? Um, actually, the um, the N NJO is is one of my favorite eras, and some of the Bantam books are some of are are enjoyable. Um, you know, they all have their quirks. Um, and you just, there's good stories in a lot of different places, but I actually really like the, especially the middle section of NJO. I thought that was some of their strongest stuff. Okay. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I, that's some of my favorite stuff as well. I kind of tend to enjoy the stuff that comes after Return of the Jedi. Um, I, I get really, I can get really involved in a story when I really don't know what the future is. And I like to kind of see the leading, you know, of the, the story, the ongoing story. So, like, as they were putting out the New Jedi Order or even the legacy novels, Fate of the Jedi, I was really, you know, into reading those because it was it was breaking new ground. Whereas something like this, like Dawn of the Jedi, we're going way back in the past and kind of going, you know, all the way to the beginning of time. So, for me, initially, right off the bat, this wasn't as much of it. I didn't have as much interest in this one um, because of that. Now, did you did you feel that way at all? Um, yeah, I'm very uh, similar taste. I sort of like the the edge of um, the leading edge of the flagship series. That's always been where I wanted to read more. Um, and and even with legacy, uh, the legacy comics ahead of the flagship series, I still thought there was a lot of open things. So I was, uh, you know. I prefer that, um, but um, and I, I this is just me. But I the older when they go in and do older, you know, before time, I have a problem with a lot of the tech. That the technology's, you know, a lot of it's still the same. They still have spaceships, and it's you know, ten thousand years ago, twenty thousand, whatever it is. And and I'm an engineer, so I think we people would evolve more over. <laughs> Over time, that's the way I see things. So sometimes I'm like, oh, well, that's just like the way it is in now in Star Wars. It's too similar. So sometimes I, I kind of run into, you know, uh, logic head blocks that bother yeah, me. Definitely. And um, they actually had a reference to the holonet in this book, which I thought was really odd because I'm thinking, wow, they, they had the holonet 25,000 years ago like you would think that would have been a technology that maybe that would have kind of evolved over time rather than being something that literally was there at the beginning of time almost or at least as far as the Star Wars universe is concerned so I thought yeah even references to something like that I thought was a little off-putting um, but I thought this book it did a decent job as far as trying to make it seem a little bit more ancient um, did you ever read any of the old like uh, Tales of the Jedi comics from the oh, 90s? A lot, yeah. I mean, they're not things that, that pop to mind and I remember readily. But yes, I did read them. Okay. Because I thought those did a really good job of kind of differentiating between the look of that time period as opposed to kind of what we know now as Star Wars. Their ships were a lot more archaic looking. Even though they were still spaceships, um, they just didn't look the same. And I think what kind of happened with what, why they changed the look of things is when they came out with the, the video game, The Old Republic. And they were trying to appeal, you know, to the mass audiences who were used to Star Wars looking a certain way from, you know, the prequels. 
and they were really trying to match that style, and I think that's kind of bled over into the comics and the novels as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You could you can kind of see that where that shift went, um, where you know some people just don't want to think too hard about it, and it's escapism. So yeah, in that in that regard, but you know that's why there's a big variety. So you know I I tend to you know it is what it is now. I was reading the story, and sometimes I'd be like, oh, and about the tech or something, and I'd be like, okay, I'm just going to keep reading. And <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, one of the I ways... I brought in a lardy on uh, that series. I was like, wait, why is the Republic in this era? Why is Mark in this podcast? What? Turns out my wife's still getting pizza. She's texting me. She's like, she's like, how how soon are you gonna be done? I'm like, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I go in there and I'm like, there's nobody in the house. The house is completely bare. I'm like, where are you? She's like, I'm still waiting for the pizza. They told us ten more minutes. We've been in here for forty. I'm like, whoa, okay, I'm jumping back in. Well, welcome back, Mark. <laughs> Long time no see. <laughs> well, one of the ways I thought that they actually did. Um, kind of make this book feel a little bit more archaic or uh, from a time in the past was the use of a sword for the Jedi characters as opposed to a lightsaber. And I, I really enjoyed that. It really made it feel different, the fact that she was using a sword, a regular sword, um, as opposed to, you know, a lightsaber or a force saber that we've seen in the Dawn of the Jedi comics. So I really like the fact that they didn't have her using any similar weapon to a lightsaber. Um, what did you guys think about the, the use? Well, I guess, what did you think, Tricia, about the, the use of a sword? That sword worked really well. It did. It could even, <laughs> it could even block uh, blaster bolts, and which did, was surprising. And, yeah, and it didn't cauterize wounds, so... <laughs> it slices, it dices, it cuts people up in 25 different ways! It was like the, you know, the, the um, you know, the, you see the ads, that thing sliced through anything. But I liked, I mean, I actually like... Um, uh, you know, kind of gothic tales and sword fighting and stuff like that. So I thought it wasn't a nice, different touch. I love the cover art with her with it. Yeah, Nathan was telling me that was one thing he had spoiled me about was how the the difference in the sword and the way the blood would splatter and things like that. He's like, it's definitely uh, something I'm not used to. I'm like, really, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, and it, I mean, kind of on that subject, I did notice this book kind of going a little bit more adult in certain ways than I'd seen in past Star Wars books. I know when it comes to to fantasy or sci-fi novels in general, you know, they're no stranger to violence or, or adult themes. But Star Wars novels have, for the most part, stayed away from, you know, using a lot of uh, curse words or, you know, getting into some more suggestive themes or anything like that. But I thought this novel really kind of pushed the edge as far as what I had seen before in Star Wars novels. Um, there was a lot of violence. They actually used curse words that I was surprised to see. And they even had different scenes where, you know, they were kind of describing Lenore and, you know, she's walking around, basically walking around naked on her ship at one point, you know, when she was doing the whole alchemy thing. And I was, I was a little surprised by it. Um, did you, did that surprise you at all, Trisha, that they, they went there in a Star Wars novel? Well, um, I can tell you that there has been a naked character in almost every one of Troy Denning's books for a female character. So I wasn't, this didn't, that didn't shock me. Um, and as far as what they've done previously, um, the, the blood, obviously that's the great thing about not having a lightsaber. Um, I, I didn't mind. I thought if you looked at the tone of the middle NJO, this was about the same tone. I don't know that I'd want them to, 
push much farther past this. But I don't mind this, the stories that sort of kind of straddled this wanting to be adult and, you know, t tone but not really doing everything that needed to get done um, to get there. Um, but I think that's probably you could have a whole other conversation of the level of violence versus how they address, you know, you know, adulting things up sexually in Star Wars books, and that's a whole probably another conversation even. So, so let me get this straight. She was basically studying or practicing alchemy while walking around in the buff in her ship, right? Not quite that, that casual. It was a scene where it made sense for her to be naked because she was trying to uh, pretty much save her own life. Yes. With the, with this alchemy, and in order to do that, she had to obviously, you know, she's doing this this procedure on herself, so she her clothes would have been in the way. It wasn't anything that was like, you know, it, it made sense for the scene. It just the way they described it was a little bit more detailed than I'm used to seeing in Star Wars novels. Um, <laughs> it did surprise me, but it didn't bother me. I kind of like it when they go a little more edgy. Yeah. Well, um, you usually the other cases, it's usually from the character's point of view, and then they casually reveal that they didn't have clothes on. Jaina was not clothed in um, Apocalypse in the back to, in the back to scene. When she woke up, she didn't have any clothes on. And, uh, That's twice they did that, because they did that in Balance Point, too. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's not the first time that that's happened, especially in the medical conditions. But I, that's why, yes, it was probably described in more detail, because usually it was from a character's point of view, and it's sort of just, if you notice that they mentioned it, you would notice it, and this time they described it more in detail. So, See, I, I can't help but go the dad route and also the single guy route. I mean, as both, the second I have the house to myself, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm down to the skimmies. I'm like, it's hot in here. I'm taking this off. I'm taking that off. <laughs> I, mean, it's, I mean, hearing that she's walking around in the buff on her own ship, that's not too surprising. But, yeah, but she had, literally but has, see it in Star Wars. she has a gaping hole in her chest, so yeah. I don't think <laughs> there was anything. It made sense. Yeah, they yeah, couldn't have described the scene any other way I don't think yeah so it did it really didn't it fit the context of the moment I mean she literally had just taken a blaster shot to the chest so. and I'm with you Trisha I like that they went edgy with this book I really do I just don't I wouldn't want them to go too much further because then you get into a whole nother level and you know I, I always like to be able to recommend these these books you know I have younger brothers and sisters um, you know, I like to be able to hand a book to them and not be too worried about the content of it. And Star Wars has always been good about that. Yeah. So I'd like, you know, this is about as far as I'd like to see them go. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you on that. I think that, and I don't think it should be in every case. But I mean, we have to remember that Star Wars is, you know, was envisioned and came out for kids. George Lucas has always gone back to that. And there's a lot of different ways to create tension r without. A character you can be make readers tense without um, doing using violence to create that tension. So I call that the supernatural season one effect. You know, the, the scariest of all the supernatural seasons was season one because it was what they didn't show. You're like, oh my god, what is it? What is it? All I see is a shadow. <laughs> the, and the, the alchemy is actually an interesting part of this. Definitely. Uh, I mean, it's it's a different take. Um, it's one of the things. I had storytelling thing was there were too many mysteries at the beginning, which is why I thought it was too slow. We they never showed us why should we should be afraid of doll or why should we should really be afraid of the hypergate. That was all just from um, Lenore's point of view, 
And so the tension, in, and then alchemy was another mystery that sort of was there. And I thought that sort of s slowed down in the engagement in the story. And when they started getting into it, but I don't know, I just thought that the alchemy could have been a more interesting part of the story if there was something that you would have gotten people more engaged early on. That's my opinion. Well, that makes sense. I mean, alchemy has always been something that they really kind of stay away from, except for in the Old Republic era. And when I say Old Republic, I mean Old Republic. Uh, but this would be our first case of someone that isn't full-on Sith doing it, which is my, my question I wanted to get to you guys was, you know, balance. Uh, Nathan was big on how balance is totally different from what you would assume balance is to a Jedi in this time frame. And the fact that she was using alchemy... You know, that, that throws that in sharp contrast right there because alchemy is typically not something a Jedi of what I consider a new age Jedi would be doing. It's something more dark. And how did that really come across? Was it more I of a dark that, skill? I think that in the old Republic comics, uh, like the Tales of the Jedi stuff from way back, um, it was pretty much strictly the Sith that used alchemy. But I think in this story, this is this is a precursor to those stories. This is kind of yeah. the beginning of things. Yeah. So I think the, the Jedi are still trying, or the Jedi are still trying to figure out what is that line that they shouldn't cross. And they were, I mean, Lenore was still kind of doing this whole alchemy thing, kind of in secret. She, it was something that she wasn't necessarily flaunting the fact that she had this ability. And I think she knew it was kind of edging a little too close to darkness when she was using it. Um, so I think this is something that over time the Jedi are going to kind of figure out, hey, you know what, this whole alchemy thing, we probably shouldn't be messing with that. Well, yeah, they're, and they're con this, is, this was the cool thing about the story that took a while to get into is that the balance really is different for them. They think you can, the, you can balance both dark and light emotions and, um, and recover back into the light. It's, it's a, it complete, at some point, the Jedi decided that that they just weren't capable of doing that. So the alchemy is sort of an intro because we usually see that as a dark uh, um, skill in uh, fantasy. So that's why it was kind of really interesting. But we didn't get to see it until they, you know, dropped it on the end. What she actually that that showed her the most in sort of that balance mode, and she, it worked out for her. Yeah. Well, another thing that I, that is interesting to me is because, you know, the in the Jedi order, you have Sith, and these Sith aren't, you know, the dark Sith that we know of. But when the later Jedi order has its first schism and the dark Jedi of that order leave and they find the same Sith species that uh I can't remember uh, Seknos from uh, the co the comic, he uh you know, his people we're already masters of dark alchemy. So, you know, I like the fact that even though the Jedi were playing with it, it isn't something that's very prevalent to them. That, like, like you said, she was kind of dabbling in it. That, that's interesting because that was always something that was appealing to, the, to me about the Sith species was that even though the dark Jedi came across them through alchemy, they already were doing a lot of very dark practices. So, so that, well, I like the keeping of those themes. I got the whole vibe in it that Dan Powell, who was the Jedi, Jedi master who was sort of mentoring her on this, uh, I, fr from the alchemy that they were secretive, I almost didn't trust her in this book. I was sort of like, oh, I don't know, she's like going to be like Palpatine. Now, I don't know 
that's where they were leading, but it always made me question that her character because she was secretive and meant her yeah. sort of in secret about it. Yeah, I agree. I thought I got kind of a bad a bad guy vibe from her as well, and I was kind okay, of okay. Good. Yeah. I, I, every time she would come in, I might like the hair on the back of my neck would start to tingle. Like halfway through the book, I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if I like her. Yeah, I hope we get a, I hope we get another book with Lenore, or at least they bring her and her storyline into the comics, because I really want to know more about some of these things, like you know, like Dan Powell. Um, you know, maybe she is kind of dabbling too much in the darkness and maybe she's kind of going dark and you know it'll be interesting to see i actually haven't read a lot of the comics i've only read the first volume so i don't know what happens you know beyond that so maybe they've already oh, touched on some of these get things on that man the but, second one is woo, yeah we're well, it up three notches we're reviewing the the second volume soon so i'll definitely be reading it but yeah i'm i'm looking forward i really enjoy this this dawn of the jedi stuff i think it's a great you know era because they can they can go back and start brand new stories and not really touch another era for a long time. And so I think this is a great place for them to kind of play around. And this is a perfect time for it because right now with episode seven coming out, who knows, they might not want to touch anything in the, you know, in that era for a while. So why not go back to this Dawn of the Jedi era and kind of start playing around there for a while? I always called this when it first came out was this was the reboot, you know, and, and what I mean by that is like it's the same concepts, but all flipped. I mean, you know, like balance for one, not what you think. Sith for one, not what you think. <laughs> Everything about this is not what you think. And yet it is still falling into the realm of what you know. <laughs> and I like that. That's always been intriguing. Um, now, from the you know, I have only read the comics. I haven't read the book. I've only flipped through it. But did you recognize any parts of the comic bleeding into the book or any of the events of the comics coming in, or was it very, very different, like by off by 10 years or so? Uh, I think it's supposed to actually happen parallel to at least volume one of the comics. So there definitely was, uh, they, they referenced, um, uh, what's the character that they, they put on that moon? Oh, yeah. Oh, Locke. Yeah. Dragon Locke. Yeah, they yeah. Talk, they referenced him. Um, they actually had the scene at the very end of this novel, which is, I guess this is kind of getting into some spoiler territory for you, but at the very end of the novel, they actually tell the scene of when uh, Zesh fell to fell to the planet on the, on the ship. Oh, nice. They okay, kind of, right that there. happens in the novel, but from a different perspective, so they're not sure exactly what this big crash was or who was on the ship. Um, they don't even show Zesh at all in the novel, but you know, if you've read the comics, you know that's what happened. So, yeah, because his, his presence threw the entire planet out of balance. That would be yes. cool to see how, how a ranger you know, perceived that from her point of view. And oh, that did nice. tie in because you know, the, the crash and like, you know, him kind of being there messing with the planet kind of ties in a little bit to what happens at the end of the novel as well. So yeah, they, nice. they definitely referenced, referenced the comics. Well, another thing I like about this era, and I think the book did the same thing, does it talk much about the Despo War and the battles and stuff that have gone on before, you know, what what we see now? Because in the comics, they really talk about that, especially yeah. with Locke. Yeah, they do. They uh, reference it. I can't remember the name of the planet that they end up on, but that planet was actually a big part of the of the Despot War, and they, they give some of that detail um, as as it as this story moves along as she's moving through 
um, that part of the story. I think what was that character's name? Kara the. Um, yeah, Kara the the big fat lady. The fat lady. Yeah, I didn't want to say well, that, but I don't know how how else to describe her. Well, that's sort of. I mean, she, the out of shape woman. That she's not as fit as they would like the the characters in Episode Seven to be. Well, I guess like. her as like the the J- Jabba former Jedi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah Beldoran. <laughs> that was an interesting character that I really didn't like. I thought they kind of went a little extreme on the character description, and I was like, I could, it was hard for me to imagine. Um, yeah, so I didn't, I didn't really love that. But let's talk a little bit about some of these characters. Um, specifically, Lenori, I really love the addition of her to the Star Wars universe. I think she's a great character. Um, I love the way they described her. Like, she's, you know, she's tall. She, you know, she's this in this presence of this Jedi that you don't typically get in the female characters. You know, they're kind of usually a little bit smaller or, or you know, they're, they're usually tough, but I like the fact that she's tall. You know, she's she's actually towering above many of the guys that she meets. And, um, you know, I, I love the descriptions of the way she's dressed and the way she carries herself with this confidence. You know, so what did you think about her, Trisha, as a as a female character in the Star Wars universe? It's funny that you said you liked that she was tall because the first thing that uh, Linda had said to me, my re- reviewer, and then when I read it was, I'm like, man, I just can't relate to her being that tall physically. So um, I thought it was an interesting choice. Um, I'm going to go off on my on the tangent of that the the last three female characters that have really highlighted a book, uh, Mara and Choices One, uh, Kara Holt, and then her have been kind of the Lone Rangers, which isn't necessarily what women engage in. So that's why it took me a little bit of time to get into her, I think. Um, I just think I tend to be more of a social animal, so her kind of isolation uh, was hard for me to understand it, it took a bit of her breath the story with her brother for me to finally start connecting with her okay. I, thought, I thought she i'm just totally saying it how i see it and how i see women a lot of women connect to stories and um so for me that's how i felt um i, I just Sometimes I'm like, well, you know, she was so tall. I'm like, I can't relate to that physically. Now, there are some women that are tall, but I can't relate to it. So when you talk about self-inserting, I was like, well, if they want to make her tall and big, did they just make her a woman so they could have a count? Or in the end, I thought she ended up being a good female character. I thought she was uh, well portrayed and balanced. So in the end, that's where we go. Sometimes when you would see, I have talked to several women who read the beginning of the book and said, I couldn't relate to her. And, you know, I don't know if they even finished or not. Okay. Yeah. I, and I'm, I'm definitely reading it from a, a male perspective, and I'm probably looking at the character a lot differently than you would be looking at her. Um, but, yeah, for, it worked for me, um, and I like the fact that she was different. You know, she wasn't the typical, you know, the other Jedi characters that we've had in other novels – you know, were more the typical, you know, just way you would describe women. Uh, and I like the fact that she was different. And her height, I think, is what made her stand out to me, um, which I th- I like the way that I like that they went there with her, you know, made her a little bit more of this athletic build, you know, tall. Um, well, what I would thought would have been really interesting just to make it more for her to uh, seem more 
approachable is to make that height, assuming that in that time she was, she. I would think she'd be this really tall woman compared to other people, actually make that her feel awkward again with some people, make that an element that you could relate to where you don't feel like you're necessarily on par with people because you do stick above or taller them or I don't know. It's just Well yeah, I, I see what you mean. You like have her come up to a male and the males are distrustful from of her because of her being the same height or even taller or, than them. Uh, <laughs> and or other just all the other I mean, that for a woman that's an awkward place to you know, a lot of times they're you know it's funny because when I was in high school we had we had four girls that were over six feet tall on my dance team out of thirty two girls and then everybody else was um, four inches un shorter than that or or down to under five feet. So it was always funny because we had these four girls and they were always like, I was like, we feel like you're the munchkins. So, you know, they see things from different levels. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I, I but I, I ended up enjoying her. I, I, it took me a while. Well, let's talk about her brother for a little bit because he basically is the, the villain of this novel and I thought they, were, they did us a little bit of disservice because they pretty much gave it away in the promos for the book that that, that was the character that was the bad guy. Um, I honestly didn't know until I read the synopsis just now. Yeah. I'm like, oh, really? Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's right in the synopsis. And, and if you didn't read the synopsis and you just read the novel, there is some mystery there as to you know who this, this entity is. But since I had already read the synopsis in the front cover or whatever of the novel, I already knew that it was going to be her brother. And I think most people probably already knew that. And I thought they did a little bit of a disservice because that, that could have been a cool little reveal. Yeah. Um, I, I Even if they hadn't said, I think I would have figured out pretty early. Um, I just thought he, I wasn't scared enough of him at first. I'm just like, why is she, you know, we didn't realize why she was so afraid of him. We had to sort of take it from her, uh, you know, kind of her word on it that we should be really scared of, of him and the possibilities of what might happen, um, with the Stargate. Uh, in, in the end, he ended up being a very good focal point for her conflict, um, as, between the the light and the dark and what you want and don't want, you know, family things kind of messing up what you should or shouldn't do, which is, I sort of felt like she was like the Obi-Wan in the moment where you're like, just, you know, get, Anna, get on the lava beach and hack him until he's dead, you know, <laughs> you know, and she sort of met, you know, she seems so tough. And then in that moment, I'm like, oh man, just stop, stop. You know, you got to know he's bad at this point, you know, but that's what happens. You know, your emotion takes over for the character. And um, so I thought it, he was a good focal point for challenging her on that as a character. Yeah, I think he worked as a scary character because for me, some of the most scary people in the world are unstable people because you <laughs> never know what they're going to do. Some of absolutely. Man. And yeah, this guy. That. Like, from the beginning, ever, you know, as soon as they introduced him, he was completely unstable. He would just snap. You know, she was trying to be so nice to him and reach out to him in so many places in this novel, and he would just snap on her for no reason at all. And that, to me, is it can make a very scary character, because once he has the power to do things that can, you know, do damage to the galaxy, you know, he's that guy that's sitting next to the, you know, the, the nuclear 
missile button that he can press at any time, and he's he's j- just disjointed enough in the head that he might just do it. Yeah, and you and you get definitely get that sense in the end, which sort of definitely ramped up ramped up thing you know the anxiety because it's like man, I I think he's a little bit you know off the <laughs> the rails, and this could go really bad. Yeah, he worked for me. I thought it was interesting that he. You know, she's a force user, and so obviously she has this power, um, but he didn't really use the force at all. In fact, he kind of hated using the force. Um, so he was not really a physical threat to her, more than kind of uh, being a mental threat because of the fact that he was family. Uh, it made it a lot harder for her to do what she had to do to stop him. Yes. and But when he, when he did... The one thing he did take away from the Jedi was what he really studied his martial skills. Um, he took that lesson and he he applied it there in the end. I liked I liked that. I thought the action was pretty crisp and uh, and well done when they finally did get to duke it out. Yeah, I agree. I like I like the ending. Um, you know, he had to go, <laughs> and 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 I like the fact that. You know the way that they handled it at the end. I, I won't spoil too much um, exactly the details, just in case. You know, Mark, I know you haven't read it yet, so I'll, I'll let you kind of read the details yourself. But, but yeah, it's I liked the the way it ended, and um, I definitely thought he was a, a formidable character for her to go up against um, in in many ways. Uh, what did you guys or what did you think, Trisha, about um, kind of her little sidekick? Uh, Trey Sana, I think is how you say his name. Um, Trey, I he went, he had some good he had some good moments and he had some good dialogue and he and there were moments I liked him and then hours moments where he was just a little bit like he was there along for the ride. Um, you know, I, I didn't, he wasn't any anything that I was crazy about. I don't know why I just didn't engage I didn't engage with him so. Yeah, he was kind of there, it seemed like, almost to be a little bit of comedy relief. Uh, she definitely has a personality that is not very witty. You know, yeah. she's pretty straight-laced. Um, <laughs> she's dry, and he, he he did provide some moments where you're like, whew, okay, we need to joke there. <laughs> yeah, definitely, and I thought he worked well. The only thing I didn't like about him was the fact that he was a stinking Twi'lek. <laughs> it's like every novel has some Twi'lek sidekick. It, it just seems like that's kind of the species they go to. It's like you have your hero character, and then they have a Twilight, you know, girlfriend or Twilight buddy or, you know, something. It's like, couldn't they made her any other species or made him any other species other than Twilight? But Oh, we had Twi'leks, Wookiees, Cathars, and Sith and Jedi, so. Yeah, and we had some <laughs> Nagri thrown in there, which oh, I thought was great. cool. I liked yeah. him. I that that was kind of exciting. I'm like, okay, that that was different. I like that. The chase scene, yeah, that was good. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, um, yeah, I really liked that too. But um, yeah, so I liked Trey. I thought he was kind of cool. I thought it was funny that his name was Trey because <laughs> he has three. He has three um, Leku. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of uh, funny that they named him Trey because of that. And they used his Leku well. The, yeah. The story, like they were like, oh, he would do something with it to. Instead of like you know, someone might scratch you know, you know, point at your forehead or something to you know say think about something. He would, I don't remember specifically what they were, but I remember thinking, oh, that's kind of clever. Yeah, they were like moving around a lot, which which is always interesting in the expanded universe. They can kind of do that, 
but in the movies, you know, you see a Twi'lek and they're they're like who just kind of lay there. <laughs> they're hanging down because they're, they're made out of foam. But um, yeah, so it's always interesting to see the EU version of these characters where they can actually kind of use some of these appendages and stuff. So. Yeah. It'd be great to see Aaliyah Sakura walk up to another one and be like, what, you got nothing to say? And hers all writhing all crazy. <laughs> I would I would actually, after reading it, I, I at one point when they, he did something, I think he, I can't remember what he did, but I was like, I hope they use this type of stuff in the movies. This would be cool because now they have the technology. They could just, you know, make, make them move. Yeah. And speaking of technology, I had a question for you guys. Now, this has, and correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, Hypergate, uh, not to be confused with the Infinity Gates by the Quai, the same Quai that we see in the comic, but this is not the same technology, correct? Um, I'm not super familiar with, with the Quai or their technology, but I think for this, uh, basically he was trying to find a way off the, or out of the system, I think, is that right, Tricia? Yes, yes. So he was trying to use this hypergate, but the problem was it's super unstable, and that if he does use it, it might actually destroy the galaxy. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure exactly what other technology is out there that you're trying to compare it to, but yeah, I would assume that it's different. This was well, yeah, in the comics. The Quai, they, they in the second arc, which you haven't read yet, they they show up from one of the holocrons, and the gatekeeper is a Quai, and he is talking about the Infinity Gates and how they, through the Infinity Gates, gave the Rakatans everything they needed to become the big bad, and therefore, you know, they had to make make up for that. And then we later see those Infinity Gates. Again, in the Quinlan Voss comic in Republic, uh, I think it's like Infinity's End or something like that, where he uh, goes to Dathomir to shut one down, which is also referenced again in The Last Jedi. But everything about this, it's, it, this is created by the greed. It's, uh, they don't say whether or not it is before or after, which technology is based off of the other, or really how they defer. Uh, so well, I, a, I'm just curious about that. It's a big secret, so... You only see it from um, limited point of view, and she doesn't know. They they really don't. T it's she's like sort of the agent out there, and they don't really tell her anything. They just sort of say the hypergate, and then you know when she questions it, they she gets shut down. Like don't ask. You know you're just the oh. the double oh seven sort of. Right. Yeah. Um. So shut up, Paul, and get back to work. <laughs> exactly. So I think there's possibility for it to be a lot of different things because you have a lot of unreliable na narration and you only know what she knows. Um, so in theory, you're saying that, that someone could be lying to her and it could be the other gate by the qua. Absolutely. I, I mean, if they, if they wanted to do that, there's nothing in there. You don't ever, you aren't ever given any information that's, that would uh, multiple characters know. You only see it from one character's point of view. So it would be classic, like like poor Rangers on like this five to ten year mission looking for the hypergate, and they're standing in front of the infinity gate. I can't find it anywhere. Well, you're standing on it, sucker. We gave you the wrong name. Hey, Aaron, <laughs> what did you think of the shifts in um, tense in the in the narrative? Um. I was okay with it. It seemed like most of the book was told from uh, Lenore's point of view. Yes. And then they kept going back, you know, kind of doing those flashbacks, which I thought were a little distracting, the flashbacks, but it was kind of necessary to develop um, the character of Dao. 
Well, it so. took it took me a, a it took me a little bit. I struggled with them at first, and then I realized why. The story, the main story, is told in uh, past tense, like a normal Star Wars book. The the story that's unfolding, but then the flashbacks are still told in present tense. But if you think about that, they actually happen the opposite way in time. So, I I would have when I was reading it, I was like. I would have told, because a lot of stories now are being written in present tense, and I would have told the actual story that was happening with Dahl and the Hypergate in present tense and done the flashbacks in past tense. But that was just something weird that I couldn't figure out why I was struggling with it in the first couple of chapters, and I'm like, oh, because in time they're backwards the way the tenses are. Huh. I wonder if the author, if that was like a calculated thing on his part or if that's just his style. I don't know. But yeah, I didn't well, even really I, pick up on it to be honest with you. I well, I just because I I I do write a lot, so I know and I play with present tense. But I couldn't figure out why my brain was clicking wrong. And I actually do like the flashbacks and stories. But I was like, I don't know why this is 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 bothering me. And then I kind of figured it out. And then once I worked that out in my head, I was fine with what each what when I got to it, I'm like, oh, this is present tense. This is actually in the past. Um, so. I just thought that it was an interesting thing. I'd actually like a Star Wars book to try something like right present tense. I would, so you know, I, I want, Jedi. I want that I, you know, I want them to do something daring like I Jedi, even if they did it in a short story and said, "Oh, see how people react." But I read so many other books that are in different types of styles that I kind of think it would be cool. But yeah, but, well, I think you're onto something. I'd love to see a book like that. Maybe from a droid's perspective, I-5 or something. <laughs> oh, please, no. no. <laughs> Not a huge fan of I-5. But, uh, Me neither. That's, so. <laughs> what? Oh, blasphemers. That's for, that's for another podcast. Actually, wait, 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 I, we wait, already wait, did wait, that one. You guys read The Last Jedi, though? Yeah, we did a review episode on that. Um, yeah, okay, well, then you, then you could say that. Trisha, have you read The Last Jedi yet? Uh, yes. Oh, man. You guys still didn't like him? No. No. <laughs> I thought he, I thought he finally passed Lebo off that book. I'm like, right on. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I've never been a huge fan of droid, uh, droid characters, especially when they try to use them to be too human-like. And the fact that they brought in the whole, you know, he might even be force sensitive. They went over the line definitely for that for me. So, yeah, I wasn't, uh, yeah, I wasn't loving I five. Do our review of that when it comes out in two weeks because I went ape. I loved that part. Did you? Yeah. So we're we're on different we're on different planes on that one. But yeah, not I'm not, not the biggest fan. <laughs> <laughs> but let's wrap this uh, this one up here. We're going a little bit long. Um, so Tricia, overall. Uh, how did you feel about this book? Uh, was it was it one of your favorites of the year so far, or not so much? Um, it was a good read. I enjoyed it. I think if you like a different taste in Star Wars, if you like probably the older public, I think this will be up your alley. I think it's slow. It's slow to start, but it actually ends really well. And I am interested to see where the series goes. So I I recommend it. Um, it's definitely a different take on the Jedi. Now, if you have really hard, fast ideas of what Jedi should be, then um, you know this this is going to disrupt a little bit. But it's because it's you know a real real precursor to who they become. So definitely, yeah. I actually really really like this book. I'm going to even go out and say that this was my favorite book so far this year. 
Um, I did not like. I didn't really like Last Jedi that much. It was all right for me. Um, Scoundrels really kind of missed the mark for me as well, which I know a lot of people really love that book, but for me personally, it just wasn't my cup of tea. Hear that? So this one really kind of it was different. I like the fact that it was characters that I hadn't been reading about for years. It was something fresh, and I like kind of the adventure story. I like the fact that it was, you know, it was still in the Star Wars universe, but it was such a different universe than we're used to, and I really enjoyed that. I was pretty, I was pretty engrossed in this book from beginning to end, um, and I've actually already read Crucible, and that this one even surpasses that in my mind. So right now, for me personally, this is the best book that's come out in 2013, and um, I hope. Oh, I would agree with that. Okay. Yeah, I, that's. I think that's a fair statement. So it doesn't sound like you liked it quite as much as I did, but you, you would agree that it's the best one that's come out yet this year? Yep. Cool. All right, well. High praise. Yeah. I'm looking forward so. to it. I'm in the middle of Crucible, and I'm really enjoying that. So knowing that you liked it more, uh, I'm definitely looking forward to getting into 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 the void. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm interested to talk about Crucible. Uh, maybe uh, we'll see who I can have on for that one, but um, I'll definitely try to find somebody that liked it because I didn't really like it that much um and hopefully by the end of crucible mark you can get to some points where you can kind of see why i didn't like it but um yeah but we won't talk about that too much yet since it hasn't come out yet but uh you know i'm looking forward to that episode reviewing that just to to discuss that with somebody that that really that did like it so we can kind of debate back and forth on the merits of that novel all right, well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show for now. Thank you so much, Mark, for sticking around. I know you, you dropped out for a little bit, but you came back. And uh, even you. even though spoilers were abounding, you still you still hung out, and I appreciate that. Yeah, I don't worry. Whistler, he gets a little panicky, but I just put a restraining bolt on him and tell him to sit quiet. One of the, I'm, next time, I'm just going to have Whistler as my guest instead of you. Is that okay? <laughs> We like having C-3PO in the corner trying to translate, and he just start cussing them out. <laughs> and Trisha, it was awesome having you on as well. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. Loved it. Had a great time. All right. Well, we'll definitely. I'll keep you guys in mind for future episodes. We always we like to always have at least one guest, you know, on so we can kind of have different perspectives from the fan community. And you guys are definitely two of the more prominent members in my mind when it comes to Star Wars expanding universe knowledge. So I was uh, privileged to have you guys on uh, this this episode of Star Wars Bookworms. Well, thank so, you. So thank we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Usually Teresa does the whole wrap-up and gives our email and Twitter and all that stuff, but um, she's not here right now, so I'm just going to go ahead and just wrap it up. Um, by now, hopefully you guys know all of our our uh, contact information. If not, we're gonna, we'll throw it in the show notes. But uh, other than that, thank you so much for listening to our seventh episode of Star Wars Bookworms. We'll be back next month uh, with our July episode where we're going to review Lost Tribe of the Sith Spiral, which is the, uh, the, volume, the first volume of the Lost Tribe of the Sith comics. And also the Clone Wars, the Smuggler's Code, which is uh, one of the Clone Wars uh, comics. It's kind of geared more towards kids, but we're going to review it anyways. So uh, thanks again for listening to this episode, and uh, we'll catch you next time. That's always fine. I'll, I'll try to...